Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Two Out the First. It is July the 13th, 2023. I'm Ryan Balangie. It is great to have you here with us. The countdown continues until we head to Ireland. It is 48 days away until myself and Brendan Sweeney, good pal of the network, we travel to Dublin and start our seven-day journey thanks to the folks at Club Choice Ireland. ClubChoiceIreland.com is where you can find out more about them. And if you want to get your journey started to Ireland and Northern Ireland to play golf, check them out there. Also, we are presented by our friends at Swanee's Golf. If you're watching the video version of the show, I have a great Swanee shirt on. It's inspired by the movie Happy Gilmore with a bunch of fun prints related to the movie. You can check out this shirt, their hoodies, their shorts, their great t-shirts. Uh, they've got pretty much anything that you need to play the game of golf and look good on and off the course at Swanee's.co. So today we have two topics, kind of something more akin to what we typically do on this show, where we kind of take two concepts and talk about them for a while. And they're they're sort of interrelated. I mean, let, let's just be realistic. They are interrelated, but they're a little bit different from one another. One happened later in the day, so we have the benefit of recording this a little bit later in the day to be able to talk about it. And the other happened much sooner in the day because it happened over in Scotland where they're playing the Genesis Scottish Open this week. That's the lead event. On the PGA Tour schedule, there are two. The Barbasol Championship is the other. That's in Kentucky. Both are co-sanctioned between the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour. Uh, the better players are in Scotland. The not-as-good players are mostly in Kentucky. And obviously, one of the big topics yesterday was what happened in the Senate subcommittee hearing and trying to get a sense from players what their reaction was to all of it where they are with the tour, with the negotiations, with all of that. And I think it was a very clear message sent to the leadership of the PGA Tour, particularly toward Jay Monahan. And that overarching message was, oh, buddy, you are about to step in it when you come back. Because he's about to come back to work next week, leading into the Open Championship. Said his first day back is going to be July 17th. Plus or minus a day, doesn't really matter. But coming back to work, he's going to have to deal with a whole lot of stuff. He's going to have to deal with mending fences, building trust, regaining the value of relationships. There's a lot at hand here that Jay Monahan has to do on top of trying to negotiate whatever this deal with the Saudis looks like, assuming that they are going to negotiate it. So I wanted to kind of run through some of the quotes from the news conferences because I think they're instructive and I think they're interesting to kind of position where players are. And also, these are better, more well-known players. And they still talk a little bit about themselves, but also allude to what some of their peers have to say. Some of them maybe didn't have a news conference, maybe they're a better player, or just kind of general population peers. Um, it, it, it runs the gamut here. So let's start with uh, Jordan Spieth. And he kind of gets asked these questions about the middle point of this news conference. And he was playing North Berwick yesterday in Scotland, so he didn't wind up, or pre-tournament, so he didn't wind up uh, getting a chance to watch the hearings live. And he's asked kind of, without that knowledge, 
where are you on everything that's happening, what concerns you. Um, and he says, quote, you talk to a lot of other players. It's been quite a shock from the get-go. I wouldn't say that there's enough detail to be able to really comment much on any concerns because if you ask me about something specifically, I could say I saw that somewhere and I saw that somewhere else and that wasn't part of it. I really don't know. I guess Jay is returning Monday, and I'm sure as he starts to speak with you guys, maybe things have gone further, meaning in the negotiations with the Saudis. Clearly, I think we probably would have liked to have seen him at the Senate hearing if he was able to do so, just as a representative of the tour. But I don't know if he, there's anything that concerns me. I just hear, if you name one factor of it, I've probably heard yes and no on either side of it about every piece of it. And then the follow-up question was, Basically, where where's the trust factor with Jay Monahan coming back here? Because obviously this was negotiated in secret. Very few people were brought into the process at all, and many of them were brought in, or a number of them were brought in at the end. Obviously, the board of directors was brought in in, in full, the policy board, at the very end. Uh, Ron Price was brought in based on emails somewhere around May 14th and May 24th, the, the very end of the process. And... You know, there's a lot of the players who found out about this via tweet or press release or news outlet. They're ticked, and they're still ticked about that. And I'm using a nice word here. Uh, so Speeds asked about trust issues and says, yeah, there are quite a bit just based on conversations I've had with players. And I think he realizes that. I'm sure he's prepared for a plan to try and build it back. What... And I appreciate Spieth saying that, and I think that's fair to say. I, I don't think Monahan has been operating in the dark here. <laughs> he he knows, well, he's been operating this negotiation in the dark, but I, I don't think he's taken this time off, this month plus off, basically, where he hasn't been made aware of what players are saying or what their concerns are or anything about that. I, I'm sure he is well aware that his constituency, which is the players, are, are not happy. And there has been some remark from the lesser known, you know, not as vocal, not as front and center player these days, like Hunter Mahan, who he he basically said Monahan's got to go on Twitter. Now he's a multi-time PGA Tour winner, not playing golf currently, but he's a guy who has opinions, and I'm sure still keeps in touch with a lot of the, these players out there. Uh, and I, I don't think he speaks for that out of nowhere. Um, Xander Shoffley was a guy who came in, and Xander is typically... I mean, for one, Xander was a guy that was rumored to be courting Liv. Who knows if that was true, right? But he is not typically someone who, I would say, rocks the boat. He doesn't share a whole lot of opinions. Whatever he has kind of keeps to himself. He's also kind of easy breezy, lets things fall off his back. So he's not someone you would expect to kind of come out and say, be vociferous and, and say something one way or the other. In fierce defense of Monaghan on the tour or completely annihilate them, right? But he was asked about it and he came right after Jordan Spieth. And uh, he said, you know, where basically what is, what's the feeling about the management, quote unquote, and Monaghan and the communication? And <laughs> said, it's a work in process. Usually when things aren't great, there's always something good that can come from it. So my hope is that there isn't much communication right now and things are a little bit unsettling and there is a bit of a divide between management and the players, if you want to call it that. But my hope 
is that a positive thing coming from that will be more communication, more transparency, and sort of understanding which direction the tour will go with us being sort of the ambassadors of it. Then the follow-up immediately is, have your feelings and trust level in Jay Monahan changed? And that came from Doug Ferguson of the AP, who asked a very pointy question. Shoffley said, yeah, thanks, Doug. Yes, yes, they have. And he is asked to elaborate, and Shoffley says, we got a memo that he'll be back on the 17th. If you want to call it one of the rockier times on tour, the guy was supposed to be there for us. Wasn't. Obviously, he had some health issues. I'm glad that he said he's feeling much better. But yeah, I'd say he has a lot of tough questions to answer in his return. And yeah, I don't trust people easily. He had my trust, and he has a lot less of it now. So I don't stand alone when I say that. He'll just have to answer our questions when he comes back. And then, I, I think this was interesting, just to have a little bit of... Uh, mm, color around one of the key players, one of the best players in the world, finding out about this deal. was This was the back end of it. It's not related to this topic, but I do think it's worth talking about. You know, Where were you when we found out about June 6th? And he said, my wife woke me up. I was lying in bed with my French Bulldog. We were having a little canoodling session, and yeah, my wife woke me up in a pitch black room and informed me of the news. Immediate reaction was, I have one of those, like, I don't know who looked worse, me or my little guy. I asked my wife to tell me where the news was coming from, what source it was. It was so early. I just remember laying there, and I wanted to go back to bed. And then I was kind of laying there, one eye, I was like, my phone just started going off. Unfortunately, I had to wake the little guy up and had to get my day started. The dog was sleeping. So, there's Xander. And then here's Scotty Scheffler, who I, I think is also very important here. And he's asked kind of about, well, what's his interest level? Where, where do your takeaways? So let's, let's dig into that a little bit. Scheffler said, we didn't really learn a whole lot, referring to the Senate hearing yesterday. As a player on tour, we still don't really have a lot of clarity as to what's going on, and that's a bit worrisome. They keep saying it's a player-run organization, and we don't really have the information that we need. I watched part of yesterday and didn't learn anything, so I really don't know what to say. Added, kind of pressed on it more is that it is really is kind of that cycle where it's just a framework agreement right now. So I don't know what that entails. We are not involved in any of the discussions. None of the players were involved in the original framework agreement. So we just don't really know. And then he's asked if players should have been involved. He said, should I have been? Probably not. But I'm sure that a few of our player members should probably have been involved. And then kind of asks about where he's at. You know, is, is this disconcerting for him? The uncertainty, what does it mean to him? He said, I think the tour is working hard to try to get us more information, but like I said, it's tough when you're in negotiations to make everything public. Level, that's fairly level-headed. It's hard to negotiate the public side. I understand the privacy of it, but I just wish that our player reps need to be more involved in the process. And I, I think that's kind of the general sentiment here is two parts, right? Monahan has said, you know, I, I'm working on your behalf. This is your your tour. But he went and negotiated this in secret with Ed Hurley and Jimmy Dunn and all the folks on the PIF and Liv side. And they all did that in secret. And then they were supposed to have some grand communication plan. And that failed at every level. I mean, he was supposed to call Tiger and Rory McIlroy. And neither of those guys got a phone call in the schedule that they were supposed to get it. They got it like, a few minutes before the press release went out. The players mostly found out via Twitter. They still don't really have an idea of what the tour's negotiating position is. 
what they're trying to accomplish with all of this, why they're working with the Saudis as opposed to trying to take on some private source of financing. And I, I think there's a lot to be revealed here, and there's a lot that there's not a lot that could be revealed. I, I think I don't think we have a lot of detail, and I'm not exactly sure where the 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 tour and the public investment fund are in negotiation. The the rumor is they're kind of far apart, that they don't have a lot of common ground, that they've what they've agreed to here is fundamentally to just stop suing one another and to call a detente until the end of the year. Which brings us to the second topic of today's two off the first, and that is that the detente, at least part of it, has been busted up by the Department of Justice. So the, I believe New York Times came out with this first today, almost certain it was the Times, which is interesting because they've disbanded their sports department. But nevertheless, their report today, more from the, the legal side of this than the sports side, I would say, is that the part, one of the key parts of the agreement, one of the binding parts of the framework agreement, one was stop suing each other, one was non-disparagement, the other was not poaching players, not agreeing is part of this kind of timeout to negotiate between now and the end of the year. And so if they choose to extend that, in that time period, they wouldn't go after each other. You wouldn't recruit players back to the PGA Tour and Liv wouldn't recruit players from the PGA Tour or DP World Tour. And I think that's fair to say that they would do that because especially on Liv's side, they've kept the same, they're trying to keep the same 48 players. So I don't, think they would do this nine events into their season. I'm sure that they could. I'm sure they are legally allowed to based on the agreements that they have with the players, but they're probably not going to do that. And uh, obviously the PGA Tour would love to have certain players back, but then they've got to figure out a penalty process and it doesn't sound like they've got anywhere near that. So they wouldn't do it either. And really the point of this wasn't to be anti-competitive. It wasn't meant to be anti-labor. Rather, it was meant to say, okay, we won't poach your guys, you won't poach ours, and we'll just talk as parties that aren't changing in nature. But the Department of Justice took it a little bit of a different way, and they have been harping on what is viewed as anti-labor, anti-competitive, uh, kind of conspiratorial, so to speak, behavior between businesses. And they said, hey, you know, we're looking at this document. You can't have this. You, this doesn't work. You got to take that part out. And apparently the tour and the Saudis are kind of like, well, why? I mean, that, that doesn't make sense to us. But the government said, look, this looks like anti-competitive behavior because if you are merging to monopoly, which I think is a reasonable argument from an antitrust perspective, but if you're merging to monopoly or you're merging and you're agreeing to not let labor underneath flow in the meantime, that sounds anti-competitive. You have to take that out. So they agreed to take it out gambling that if they took it out it would assuage and calm down the doj so that maybe they won't go into a full-blown examination of this deal which hint they just might anyway especially given what we kind of know now about how this was negotiated and we'll, we'll probably eventually find out so it it doesn't seem like giving up that one piece of it is a good thing i think it's a gamble but now, because that's out of the document, technically the Saudis can go and poach players from the PGA Tour and vice versa. And then here come all the Liv bots who are going to go, well, now John Rahm's going to sign with Liv, told you. And I don't know, uh, you know, don't, whatever, don't entertain that. The point of this clause, I, I firmly believe, 
based on the reading of how this whole document's meant to work, which is really, it's, Jimmy Dunn likes to say it's an aspirational agreement, an agreement to agree or try to agree. Really what it is, is a peace accord. It's a temporary ceasefire. And if you understand the framework document is that, which that's what it is, it's a temporary ceasefire, then yeah, you of course you wouldn't have that. If you, if you thought about this as two fighting forces, then you would go, oh, well, yeah, we would we would try not to get spies to come over uh, and be traitors to one side or the other, right? As part of a, a detente kind of agreement. So that's, that's really the spirit of it. But the DOJ has been on this kick and they have gone after all kinds of different mergers. They've tried to go after the Microsoft Activision Blizzard one. That sounds like it might be a loser. They've lost a couple of others, but they have challenged them and they have made them annoying. And ultimately, they wind up going through seemingly in almost every instance, but that doesn't mean they're not going to try and not try to establish a precedent for these types of agreements and behaviors. So they've acquiesced and they've given up a key protection that they have. Not to say that the Saudis are, are now got contracts rolled out to every major player. Not saying that. I don't think that that's what they want. The Saudis have spent enough money. They have zero return. And for all of that money, what they have earned is a throwaway payment toward equity in the PGA Tour right now. But if they continue to build value for Live somehow in the next four to five months, then they can come out slightly better in the equity department without the, with the same kind of investment, right? Because that's what they're going to bring to the table with Live. They have fewer player liabilities. Frankly, they have no incentive to sign players because if they're going to get a piece of the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour and, and all that stuff in this new company... Why would you go spend more money if that's not going to help you? That's just a, that's a liability. That's money spent and guaranteed that doesn't raise the value of live. It lowers the value of live. So from that perspective, it doesn't make any sense. But I think the point of this is to say there is public scrutiny on this. There is government scrutiny on this. And you might have expected that. You should have. But we're at the point now where they're starting to look at this and wonder, okay, if this is what the agreement to agree is, what is the agreement in final going to be? And that's an interesting kind of segue into something Rory McIlroy said, which I didn't talk about earlier in news conferences, but I think it applies more here than the trust factor around Liv, because it's about, or trust factor around Monaghan, because it's about Liv. McIlroy was asked about the hearings. I didn't really know anything new. He said, quote, as I've said, I've almost been too close to it for the last year and a bit, so it's nice to try to distance myself from it. And then he was asked about, or I guess asked to comment about the part of the presentation, that best of both worlds presentation from Amanda Staveley and her capital group, the first outreach, first part of the negotiating process where they said, okay, well, we want Tiger and Rory McIlroy to own a team and live, and we want to play 10 events a year. And he said, McElroy did, quote, if Live Golf was the last place to play golf on earth, I would retire. That's how I feel about it. I'd play the majors, but I'd be pretty comfortable not playing. So what he's trying to say is he still hates Live. And he said that repeatedly. I hate Live. I don't want to be deal with Live. None of those things. And <laughs> there there's kind of been this reaction from the pro Live community, the people that have been out there on Twitter. They're called live bots. Some of them are real people. Some, many of them have real opinions. I may not agree with any of them, but they are real people. And they and some of them have some sources within live, whether that's Norman player agents, whether they're agents themselves, any of those types of things. 
that, that's kind of what a lot of these people are. Many of them are just people who just make up stuff. But the ones who have some kind of track record are probably insiders of some fashion. And one of them, uh, an account called Flushing at Golf, went on a now-deleted tweet rant saying, well, the PJ Tour is not negotiating in good faith. I know that they're not. Rory McIlroy saying this is proof of that in the public. The PJ Tour is going to take over the European Tour, and they don't even want to deal with Live Golf. They just want to get out of the the lawsuit. And, you know, they're... And then he kind of made up stuff about McElroy being part of the same representation group as Tiger Woods. That's not true. Uh, that Rory and No Laying Up, who are also represented by the same people Tiger uh, is represented by, that they all get talking points and they all talk the same and blah, blah, blah. That got awfully conspiratorial very quickly, and that was deleted. But that wasn't all rooted in craziness. There is a real-world possibility... I don't know how real, and I'm not trying to pretend that I do, that the PGA Tour really just wanted this agreement. They wanted the agreement to get out of the lawsuit. Whether they poached players or not, whatever. The agreement buys them time. If, if, you, if you were thinking in those terms and you signed this thing on May 30th, you have seven months to figure out how you're going to operate your tour, where you're going to get your financing from, if you want private equity, what that's going to look like, Tease the idea of forming a for-profit entity, then go find the financing, and put it all together in seven months. If you were conspiratorial and thought that, I don't think that's that crazy of an idea. I don't think it's likely, but I don't think it's that crazy of an idea. And the reason I say that is two things. One we've talked about, another we really haven't. Randall Stevenson resigned from the PGA Tour Policy Board. He was the former CEO of AT&T left in 2020, has been on the board for a long, long time, been a big advocate of the PGA Tour, walked away, said, I can't support this, I can't support this agreement with the Saudis. And one of the things I thought he alluded to that was very interesting in his comments, and I'm sure very intentional, was that they wanted to. he wanted them to explore possible alternative financing sources. And there have been these rumors in the last couple of days that there's private equity out there that is really interested in making a run at this. That they could go and say, okay, well, the Saudis were willing to throw another $5 billion at Live Golf. We could get you at least $1 billion, if not the full $5 billion, if you decided to form this new for-profit sub-entity. Yes, you wouldn't have Live. Yes, you wouldn't have their investment. And yes, they could still poach your players. But if we put in private equity, so to speak, $5 billion or a billion, whatever your, your billion figure is, at least to start, and you had the same arrangement, would it matter? Would the players then just go, okay, well, we'll just do that. Like, we don't need the Saudis. The, you don't need the reputational hit. You don't need that problem. I could completely understand where that, that mindset would come from. As I also mentioned, TGL is out there between Rory and Tiger. They have two teams that they've sold, which buy two more than Liv sold. And who knows for what those amounts are. But those are investors investing in the concept. And they're not huge fish. I mean, the the Boston franchise is the Fenway Group. They're, they're big fish. Um, the LA Group, not quite as big, but a, a big fish. Yeah. Founder of Reddit, big fish. So you've got people who are clearly interested in investing in this concept if you get the right people and the right structure and all of that. So TGL, again, could be a leverage point for these players where they say, look, well, we, we'll just go get the money ourselves. We'll leave the PGA Tour out of it. We'll own it ourselves and pay ourselves. And we'll go get the best players because they're all going to want to stake and everyone wins. That's a player, 
Instead, they get more of the money dispersed as ownership, as royalty payments, as, as all that stuff. It's purse money. All comes to them. Why wouldn't you do that? So I, I think those things are out there, and I think that's worth noting. So while, yes, in one sense, what this account said seemed awfully conspiratorial and kind of strange, I don't think parts of it are that crazy. And there's a lot happening in the background, but I think that the thing that you need to know is Rory McIlroy has made it very clear he once lived to be dead as part of this. That's a sticking point for the tour, I think. They want live gone. Al Ramayan, it's his baby. He loves the idea of team golf, even if it has no demonstrable value in the marketplace yet. He thinks it's special. He thinks it helps. That could be a big budding horns moment among many in these negotiations that could be happening. All I'm saying is there's a world of possibility out there, and it's worth at least thinking about. Fun as a thought experiment worth considering. All right, it's going to do it for us today on 2 of the First. Thank you so much for watching or listening. If you're watching the show, we appreciate that. If you're watching on YouTube, consider subscribing to our channel, like the video, and leave us a comment. If you're watching on our video partners or elsewhere on our CTV apps, thanks for doing that. We appreciate you very, very much. If you're listening to us as a podcast on any platform let you do this, please leave a five-star review, leave some comments. helps us reach more people. We appreciate you listening. If any of you have questions or comments, you can shoot me an email, ryan at thegolfnewsnet.com. I'm on Twitter, threads, and Instagram at Ryan Ballingy. Find me there, get a hold of me there. Happy to talk golf or life or whatever with you there. We'll be back with another show tomorrow. We'll wrap up the week. I'm sure we'll have some more to talk about. We've got all kinds of actual tournament action to get into. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit. At least try to find some actual golf to talk about here. And uh, and we'll keep on moving as we get ready for the Open Championship next week. I'm Ryan Balaji. Thank you for watching or listening. We will talk to you next time on 2 Off the First. A new year is full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. 
LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. 